Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you gave your apostles grace truly to believe and to preach your word. Grant that we might love what they believed and preach what they taught. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I do bring you greetings this morning from the diocese. I bring you greetings from the bishops who gathered with all of the Anglican Church of North America bishops this past week in uh, Florida. And and greetings from the other churches and church plants and fellowships and ministries and missions of the Diocese of the South here in this region. This morning I'd like to start looking at our gospel lesson by actually asking a few questions and talking about some questions that people like to ask. You know, if you go to Google, you can type in, you know, what what is, and then it will auto-complete. And what what it puts in there is what other people have typed into Google. Did you know? So if you want to know what people are typing into Google, you can type in what is, and then you can see what comes next. So I did that. I typed in how many, and one of the top responses or questions that people asked were, how many feet are in a mile? How many of the beetles are still alive? And then I typed in, why does? Why does my ear hurt? That was one of the top questions. I typed in how to, how to get rid of gnats. That's a really good question, because they're not easy to get rid of. What is? What is the meaning of my name? This is, uh, this is from earlier in the year. When does college football start? <laughs> and I guess now it's like, when does it end? Tomorrow night, right? Why is? Here's one that came up. Why is religion so important? That was one of the top ten questions after why is. And here's a question for you. What must? What must I do to be saved? We human beings, we ask questions because we're curious, we want to know, and it makes a difference in our lives. The answers make a difference. The sources of the answers make a difference. And this question, what must I do to be saved, is, is perhaps the fundamental question of the human heart. What must I do to be saved? And it comes from the pages of Scripture in Acts chapter 16, where Paul is in jail, and there's an earthquake, and Paul and his compatriots are freed, and the jailer sees that, and then he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. He was baptized, his household was baptized. And you see this pattern throughout Acts and you see this pattern throughout the New Testament of of using this question in a different way, shape, or form. What must I do to be saved? And you see this answer, repent and believe, trust in Jesus, trust in God, believe and repent and be baptized, washing away your sins, dying with Christ, being buried with Him, rising with Him. And that's actually pretty offensive. Now today when we have a baptism, if it's a baby or if it's an adult, it is a beautiful ceremony and usually family and friends are invited and people show up and it's a wonderful ceremony. It's a wonderful time. But we always have to keep in mind at baptisms that baptism started off as something that was offensive to everyone, to all of the world. Now, first of all, because Jesus said, go into all the world and find people, teach them everything I've observed, I've taught you to observe, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, he didn't mean, you know, just grab people and baptize them. (laughs) These were people who were willingly coming to him and being drawn to him and then being baptized. But the fact that Jesus said, go into all the world and baptize people in my name was controversial and strange because people didn't go to other ethnic groups and welcome them into their religious family. Maybe if you were 
immigrant who would come into an area, you would be allowed to convert into the religion of that region, but to send people around the world, to send people around the world looking for, I mean, you might pick up anybody if you do that. This is what people were thinking, and, and we still think this way today as fallen humans. You might pick up any riffraff if you go into all the world baptizing people, Jesus. And then he's saying, repent. Seek the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts chapter 2. This promise is for you and your children. And some of our Christian brothers and sisters don't baptize babies, but we, we like to baptize babies because he said, it says here, you and your children and your household. And all those who are far off, it says that in Acts chapter 2. This promise is for you and your children. In Acts chapter, in Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches that we die with Christ. We rise to this new life, this fallen world of unlove that we're born into. We leave that behind and we move forward in Christ in this new life with him. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes that in baptism we're baptized by one spirit into one body. And so he's making it very clear that when Jesus said go into all the world... And baptized people. He was saying that all of these different people groups and men and women and slave and free would be baptized through these waters, would be resurrected into a new body which would be one. And this was unprecedented and unheard of that all the peoples of the earth and men and women would be grafted into one family and one body in Christ. Even slave and free would be one in Christ and equal in Him drinking of one spirit. This was controversial. This was strange. This was something that people would want to oppose and stop because it undermined everything that in our human fallenness we built in the societies in those days and still continue today, this notion that there are some people over here and some people over here and Jesus brings those people together through the waters of baptism. The emperor Constantine actually refused to be baptized. The biggest reason is he was afraid he would commit a sin. There's, there's some logic to this. If I'm baptized and my sins are forgiven, what if I commit a sin after that and then I die, will I go to heaven? You know, that, that, the church was actually wrestling with that. It's a good question. But part of the reason that Constantine didn't want to be baptized is because should the emperor really have to go under the waters of baptism and say that he's a sinner like a slave? And then when he emerges from the waters of baptism, does he have to really proclaim that he's equal to a slave or a woman? And honestly, and if you read the literature of these days, that was the ranking. A male slave and then a woman. And the emperor didn't want to be baptized because he didn't want to acknowledge that he was a sinner and he didn't want to acknowledge that he was equal to anyone else. And he put it off. But the Christian church said, sorry, emperor, everybody goes under these waters with Christ and emerges from these waters with Christ and each other as one. And if you don't want to do that, you can't be a Christian. 1 Corinthians 12. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried with him in baptism. We're raised with him from the dead by the glory of the Father that we might also walk in the newness of life. This baptism makes a difference in our life. It changes us. It puts a new orientation in our hearts and minds. It moves us away from this fallen world. We're still growing, we're still changing, but it reorients our minds and it shows us a new way of life. And our baptism shows us something that we read about today in Christ's baptism. Jesus is walking in the the banks of the Jordan and there's 
John the Baptist, and I love, I mean, John the Baptist is, besides the Apostle Peter, John the Baptist, those two are my favorites. They're so volatile, you never know what they're going to do, and they're always doing, they're always doing shocking things. <laughs> and here's John, he's at these waters, he's doing what the Holy Spirit drove him to do, and he sees Jesus coming, and he points to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, and something even more shocking happens. Jesus comes into the water and says, baptize me. And John the Baptist says, "What you, I think everybody would say, wait a minute, I, you, you need to be baptizing me, Jesus. I mean, imagine, you know, Father Michael, if you're up here and you're standing and people are in line, they're coming up to be baptized, you know, and you, you just, when you're up here, I can say this, when you're up here in the front, you can't see the whole line. It's single file, right? You know, <laughs> you can't see everybody in the line. And so as the person moves, you look at the next person and it's Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And he's saying, Father Michael, I'm ready for you to baptize me. And then what do you say? My Lord. (laughs) Here, let's switch places here. And Jesus gives this answer and he says, no, it is necessary for me to fulfill all righteousness. I have to do everything that the law requires that a person do. I will do everything that's ever been demanded of a person. Make a list. The list is already made. 600 laws in the Old Testament. All these expectations of this human that would be righteous. If you go through the Psalms, start in Psalm 1. It actually starts off, Psalm 1, the righteous man, like a tree planted by rivers of living water. I will be that righteous man. I will fulfill all righteousness. So baptize me because I'm doing everything that a human being should do. That's what our baptism reminds us and does in us. What must I do to be saved? Brothers and sisters, when we ask that question, we don't always stop to think, what has already been done that I don't have to do? Yes, I like to say complicated sentences and sermons sometimes. <laughs> what must I do to be saved, but what has already been done to save me? Jesus has already fulfilled all righteousness. When we ask the question, what must I do to be saved? The answer is not to fulfill all righteousness because it's already been done. When I look at my to-do list, and I use one on my phone now, I've graduated to a phone, I have the mobile phone, I have the list, I check things off, I'm at the grocery store, I'm doing my thing, I feel so good. I even write things I've already done just so I can check them off. And that's a little, I won't go too far because I don't want you to know too much about my personality type. And I'm looking at my to-do list of my life, and you know what's on there? What's on my to-do list is things God has already done for me that he's not asked me to do, but I'm still trying to do. My to-do list tends to have this thing that says, fulfill righteousness. I don't normally put fulfill all righteousness, because you all are responsible for your own. (laughs) Fulfill righteousness. Make God love me. Do things right today for once. Have the right thoughts. Be grateful. Get it all right. Get it straight. You know, feel bad about yesterday. You know, (laughs) this list. You know what's on my list sometimes? Save the world. This world is a mess. Save the world. This world's a mess. This country's a mess. (laughs) There are problems. There are issues. There are challenges. Save the world. Save this country. Save myself. Save my family. Save people. Save the church. You're a priest. Do things right. Get it right, get it right. Preach this sermon just right so everybody will be saved today. This is my list. Maybe it sounds familiar to you. At the end of our service, we say, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. 
to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. It doesn't say do the work we have given ourselves to do. Do the work you have given us to do. Once upon a time, there was a couple of college students. They fell in love. They were getting close to their senior year. They got engaged to be married. And one day, the young woman was talking to the young man, and she says to him, she says, I have a question for you. Now, she knew that she had inherited a farm out in the country. Her family had given her this beautiful farm in the country, but she was afraid that her fiancé would not enjoy living out in the country, and she didn't want him to feel any pressure because she had resolved that if, if he hated the idea of living in the country, she would either rent out the farm or sell the farm and work with him, find a compromise, but she wanted him to know that he didn't have to do it. So she decided just to ask him, what do you think about the idea of us living out in the country someday on a beautiful farm, and if God gives us a family, raising a family there? Would you take some time and think about it from your heart and let me know what you think? Because she wanted no pressure. So he says, I'll think about it. So he goes away, and his spirit sank because he said, how could I ever afford, at my age, to buy a farm? I was going to say buy the farm, but that came out. (laughs) How could I ever afford to buy a farm? So he worked feverishly. He got an extra job. He started working nights. He worked weekends. She was wondering where he was. He was getting tireder and tireder. He found this farm. He rented it. He was trying to fix up the farmhouse. It was a ramshackle little farmhouse, and he was putting all of his money into it, and he finally ran out of money. He was exhausted. He was failing all of his classes, and he decides to say to her what he's been doing and admit to her that, that it's probably over. It's probably over. So he sends her a text. He sends her a text. It's a good idea at this moment. And he says, we need to talk. And then she texts back to him, have you thought about my idea? And he texts back, yes, I have. I have always wanted to live out in the country on a farm, just like you. But I don't think I can make that happen now. And she texted back, really? That's great, because I have some good news. I already own a farm. (laughs) It's a beautiful farm in the country that we can live on and raise a family on. And I just wanted to make sure, this is a long text, I just wanted to make sure you, you really wanted to do that. And then he texted back, smiley face, laughing with the little tears coming out. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we've all done stuff like this. And when Jesus said he fulfilled all righteousness, he meant he fulfilled all righteousness. He has gone to prepare a place for us, it says in the Holy Scriptures. He built this beautiful, he's building this beautiful place for us to live. He's given us the church. He's forgiven our sins. He's saved the world. He's saved us. He's not asking us to be the saviors of the world or to save ourselves or to fulfill all righteousness. And when we come to that marriage supper of the Lamb, he's saying, I just want to live together with you as bride and groom. I want to raise a family together, if you will. I want us to love each other, to be loving the world, to be serving the world. I want you to go as my witnesses to tell the other people in the world and share and live out this baptized life so that other people will be drawn into this relationship And we'll be able to rest in the knowledge that we can strike all of those things off of our to-do list. We can strike off building a mansion in heaven. We can strike off saving the world. And we can just do what Jesus has asked us to do. To love and serve the Lord as faithful witnesses of Him. We don't have to rule the world. We don't have to have it all, know it all, achieve it all. We just live with Jesus 
tell other people about him, spend time with him and with each other, go back to our baptism and reminding ourselves that God loves us and he loves the people around us too. So here we are today, you and I, brothers and sisters, we found this narrow way called baptism. We've been baptized, died with Christ, risen with him as he fulfilled all righteousness and is fulfilling all righteousness in our lives. When we ask this question ourselves, what must I do to be saved? Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe, trust, rest. There's a lot of great sermons that have applications where you go and you try something out that week or you do something that week and those are great. This week's application is a little bit different. Could we just spend a week resting in Christ and all that he's accomplished in our lives? Could we take a week striking things off of our to-do list that God never gave us to do and create a new one that just says love and serve the Lord as faithful as a faithful witness of Him and just rest in that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.